everyone, my name is Kaylee and I'm a psychology representative for Students Above Stigma and I'm here with my co-host. Hi guys, I'm Brecken. I'm a neuropsych representative for Students Above Stigma and I also help with the research blog. So for the month of November, our theme is trauma and stress-related disorders. So we thought we would just get into this today on the podcast and talk a little bit more about them. Yeah, so I think we can start by defining the difference between stress and anxiety. So stress is an emotional response caused by an external trigger. And I think the key here is external trigger, whereas anxiety is future-oriented fear and emotional arousal in absence of a stressor. So the symptoms of anxiety are pretty similar to stress. And some of the physical symptoms of stress are fatigue, muscle tension, and digestive problems. And the mental symptoms are irritability and anger and difficulty sleeping. So things like that. But where it becomes an anxiety disorder is that if there's excessive fear and anxiety without an external stressor, and it's usually accompanied by behavioral disturbances. Okay, so we can get into some examples of some trauma-related disorders. So one example is post-traumatic stress disorder. This is a mental health condition that can arise after an individual has experienced or witnessed a very traumatic event. They divide the symptoms of PTSD up into roughly four categories, and this includes first intrusive memories, which can include having flashbacks about the traumatic event avoidance, which is when people can avoid places, people, or activities that they associate with the traumatic event, as well as a negative change in thinking and mood, as well as a change in physical or emotional responses. And then according to the American Psychiatric Association, it was found that post-traumatic stress disorder affects 3.5% of the U.S. adult population per year. That's actually a really high percentage. Yeah, I know. I was surprised when I saw that. For treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder, there is kind of two categories. We have therapies and medications. So for therapies, they use a mixture of cognitive therapy as well as exposure therapy. And for medications, they use both antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications to help combat some of the symptoms. The overall main goal for these treatments are to help individuals suffering from PTSD to learn skills to better cope with the trauma they experienced. So I can talk a little bit about anxiety disorders. So I think the one that people most associate with anxiety disorders is generalized anxiety disorder. So that's kind of defined by an excessive worry that lasts for a long time and is really difficult to control. Symptoms include restlessness, becoming really easily fatigued, having a hard time concentrating, just general irritability, muscle tension, and sleep disturbances. So that's kind of going back to the symptoms of stress that I talked about earlier. So the difference with GAD and just normal anxiety is that GAD tends to focus on future-oriented and daily tasks, and the worry is out of proportion, as people in the psychiatric industry would say. Kids with GAD tend to worry about school and sports performance or arts performances, and adults with GAD tend to worry about routine life circumstances like work, home life, family well-being, things like that. And the key word, as I said before, is that the worry is excessive. So we find that people are worrying far too much in comparison to what the event or item might be. And so the prevalence was actually really high as well. The likelihood of having GAD at any point in time is about 9%. And females are two times more likely to be diagnosed than males. Yeah, I also found that when I was researching about post-traumatic stress disorder, females are two times more likely to be diagnosed as well. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting to see that like there is such a gender or a sex imbalance between the two. And so the age of onset for GAD is actually fairly old. It's about 30. But most people who have been diagnosed report that they've been anxious for pretty much their entire lives. And the thing about GAD is that it tends to be chronic, but symptoms do seem to dissipate or become easier to, to cope with as time goes on. For the treatment for GAD, there's two types of treatments, like you mentioned, in PTSD. Um, So we do have medications, and the most commonly prescribed medications are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, SSRIs, and those kind of prevent the reuptake of serotonin into like presynaptic neurons, which allows more serotonin to be absorbed in the neurons that we need them to be. So that will just generally increase the amount of serotonin in someone's brain. And then we also use for therapies, like we mentioned, cognitive behavioral therapy. So instead of just dealing with the thoughts associated with the anxiety, we deal with the behaviors as well. And then a new more popular one is becoming mindfulness-based stress reduction, which includes attending to bodily sensations and thoughts to ground yourself more in the present instead of worrying about the future. Okay. Another trauma disorder that we are covering at Students Above Stigma is acute stress disorder. So this is a condition that is related to post-traumatic stress disorder, and it has a lot of similar symptoms as well as treatment options. But unlike PTSD, where the symptoms can appear for up to years, with acute stress disorders, your symptoms are within three days or one month after you've experienced that traumatic event. It was found that about half the people who are being diagnosed with acute stress disorder go on to have PTSD with the symptoms lasting longer than that month period. I think that's really interesting how there's a huge distinction between when the symptoms happen. Wow, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think for it's for some people, it it's not always that you experience a traumatic event and you'll go on to develop PTSD, but it is common that after a traumatic event, there are going to be symptoms and things you're going to be going through that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm, yeah, that makes me wonder like, how many people have acute stress disorder, but don't realize it just because, yeah. So another thing for anxiety disorders that I thought we could talk a little bit about was specific phobia. And I know we talk a lot about social anxiety disorder, which is actually just a form of specific phobia. It's called social phobia, Um, but the DSM does define it as social anxiety disorder. So going back to specific phobia, phobias are defined by an intense fear or anxiety surrounding a specific object or situation that causes active avoidance of what they term the phobic stimulus. So it's coded in the DSM based on what the phobic stimulus is. And there are several different ones. So there's animals, blood injury, injection phobia, natural environment phobia, situational phobia, or other, which is kind of all encompassing if the phobic stimulus is not fitting in other components. It's very common to have multiple specific phobias. So a person could have a phobia related to animals and natural environment or any combination of that. And the key with specific phobia that kind of differentiates it from normal everyday fears is that the fear is significant enough to cause life impairment or individuals have altered their living routines to avoid this, the feared item. So that could be for someone who might be afraid of planes, that could be taking, I don't know, instead like the bus or a train everywhere you go so that you won't have to get on a plane. And we find a lot of the time that people don't seek treatment until it starts to impair their ability to do things that they want to do. So for an example that the DSM had in it was that an individual who's afraid of elevators might miss a job opportunity on a higher floor because they can't take an elevator every day. So things like that are just, that kind of defines what a phobia is. That's very interesting that it's like, that's a very specific example. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting as well. Um, it's actually quite common as well. About seven to nine percent of U.S. adults are diagnosed with specific phobia every year, and it's most often developed in adolescence. The gold standard for specific phobia treatment is considered exposure therapy and cognitive therapy. We don't tend to see a lot of medications outside of benzodiazepines for kind of exposure and exposure therapy as we talked about before is exposing yourself repeatedly to the phobic stimulus until it no longer produces a fear response this is usually takes place gradually so you start small with small exposures and work up to being alone with the quote-unquote real thing um, but every therapist has their own style and so like i talked about before social anxiety disorder is technically a phobia. So it's anxiety about social situations where judgments by others might occur. So again, social phobia. It involves a fear of acting in a way that will bring negative evaluation. So somebody might be really afraid that they're gonna embarrass themselves or that other people are judging them if they do certain things, which as we know, can cause more anxiety and more avoidance. And the DSM defines significant anxiety and avoidance as causing the person to miss social situations that completely impair their lives. So for example, this might be a singer who has crippling stage fright, but their main source of income is performing, obviously. So that might be defined as social anxiety disorder. Again, this one has a really high prevalence rate. So it has a one-year diagnostic rate of 7%, but they do find that the rate is lower in European countries for some reason. So it would be really interesting to see where Canada falls on this. The prevalence rate are similar in children and adults, and the median onset age is 13. So kind of as you're hitting teenage years, which is also really interesting. And like the other anxiety disorders we talked about, females are more likely to be diagnosed than males. Common theme across many um, things. Mm -hmm. And I think it begs the question of, is it occurring more in males that just isn't being diagnosed? Or is it truly more females experience these symptoms? So that's definitely something that we should explore more. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And so the treatment, just like for a phobia, is exposure-based CBT. So it combines both aspects of CBT and exposure therapy to help people deal with the thoughts and cognitions that often arise surrounding exposure to social situations. And SSRIs are recommended for this one to help decrease general anxiety, because I think that it's very difficult to completely eliminate socialization from your daily routine. So that's to help generally. It's highly treatable. So about 50% of people experience remission within a few years. And that's a pretty good rate, I'd say, um, as long as you're seeking help. And the DSM did specify that without treatment, the prognosis is not quite as good. I think that kind of wraps up my bit about anxiety disorders. I really enjoyed talking with you, Kaylee, and being able to talk about stress-related disorders. Yes, it was awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I hope you learned a little bit more about stress disorders in general. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to the Students Above Stigma team, and we'd be more than happy to address you or talk about them in our next podcast.